0: I've received more satisfaction in life talking to a 14-year-old female who's torn her ACL three times than any touchdown that I've ever scored in williams brice Stadium. I was inducted into the Hall of Fame for South Carolina. Yeah, that was great, but helping people get through tough times is a lot more gratifying. It's a lot more satisfying than any of that.
1: Marcus, really appreciate you taking the time, dude. How are you? How's the wife? How's the poodle? You guys are in Portland, Oregon now.
0: Colin, thanks for having me. uh, And thanks for asking that question. My family is one of the most important things to me. And uh, Portland is beautiful right now. I'm doing well. Uh, We are in the thick of developing our, our student athletes at Lewis and Clark, which is where I work now. Uh, my wife, she's doing yoga and mindfulness. She's loving that. And my dog, uh, she loves this climate here in Portland, Oregon. It's a little bit rainy this morning, but it's 55, and it's it's a it's a it's a Portland morning. Uh, so so I'm enjoying life. I can't complain at all.
1: It's a little bit different than Duncan, South Carolina, right?
0: Yeah, uh, just a little bit. It, it's uh, I love my home state. I love the state of South Carolina. Uh, it's where I grew. Uh, it's where I made my name and and the people there have, have supported me ever since I've been 15 years old. Uh, I I will always love the state of South Carolina, the beaches, the food, uh, and and just genuinely good people. Uh, but I knew there was a lot more out there for me personally and, and my wife. Uh, we wanted to live somewhere different. We've always been wanderers. Uh, we've always been fascinated with different cultures and different societies, and we we love to travel. And we knew that we wanted to live somewhere differently other than South Carolina and, you know, venturing up and down the West Coast. Uh, I fell in love with Portland, Oregon, and uh, it's, it's just a beautiful place to be, outdoor Mecca, uh, and a place where I can grow some more.
1: Marcus, I want to start from the early days of Marcus Lattimore. How would you best describe Duncan, South Carolina to somebody like myself? How would you describe the people, the food, um, and, and just that part of the country?
0: Well, it's a special part of the country. It really is. Where I'm from, Duncan, it's a very small town. It's about 3,000 people. The high school that I went to, it's in District 5, and, and that's how we break up our, our school districts in, District one all the way up. Duncan's a beautiful place. It, it really is. It, it's the prototypical Southern small town, Friday night lights, uh, everybody supporting the home team, good barbecue. Growing up in Duncan, it's a, it's, it, it, it really is a kid's dream uh, for one who loves athletics, uh, who loves the game of football. Uh, all we had was a field, uh, we, we had football. We played sports in Duncan. We produced athletes and and, uh, and a lot of amazing coaches. You know, I can vividly remember gathering with my friends at different areas within the city. And, and you know, we were doing one thing, you know, and that was tossing the football around, scraping the knees, uh, uh, getting tackled in the sticky briars. It's a kid's dream. A lot of my memories have a lot to do with injuries. And, and and that theme kind of continued into my high school and college career. Uh, but, I mean, I wouldn't want life any other way. I mean, we had a great time. I have a lot of friends from the 90s that are still my friends today as we're closing in on 30 years old.
1: Isn't that amazing how uh, how you could have friends for, for that long? I mean, it's it's incredible that you meet somebody, you're playing around, the next thing you know, you're almost 30 and you're like, I've known you for 27 years.
0: And I think that's the benefit of growing up in a small town. You know, that's one of the things that we take for granted is those lifelong relationships that we build. You know, we played football all the way up in middle school, uh, in high school, you know, and I was blessed enough to play with a childhood friend in college. Growing up in a small town and, and the importance and the value of having a community behind you. It's special. We won a lot of games because of our crowd. There was nothing for us to have 2,000, 3,000 people at a high school game. I'm forever grateful and I cherish those memories. You guys
1: probably had more fans at your high school football games than the Detroit Lions get at their national
0: football league games. <laughs> I, and you know what? That's not an exaggeration. Our, our, our junior year, we are playing our crosstown rival. There were 25,000 people within that stadium. The stadium only sat 5,000. You relish those opportunities. You soak in that moment. Life was just fun. Life was a lot of fun growing up in a small town.
1: Duncan kind of has that Friday Night Lights vibe. Was that something when you were a little kid, you went to those high school games and you could
0: envision yourself on the field? I I didn't only go to the high school games. I, I wore the jerseys of the high school players that were playing. It creates this spirit inside of you that says, I can't wait to put on that jersey. I can't wait to be a part of that. Our high school coach at the time, Bobby Bentley, he created that type of spirit. From the time we were seven years old all the way until we got to high school, we were running the same place in Little League, in middle school. We we were called the Little Rebels. He created a sense of, this is important uh come be a part of this and and it it was just natural for us to fall right into that lineage and we did and we just respected the legacy of the burns rebels And, and that's something that has kind of been in with been in me a long time
1: you know i find it amazing that coming from the state of south carolina you don't have any professional franchises the closest thing you have you have clemson university of south carolina so i find it really cool that when you're a little kid you're not wearing a, an NFL jersey, you're putting on that Burns High School jersey of the kids that are maybe 10 years older than you. Um, me growing up in Orange County, California, that never happened. And, and I think that's what makes where you grew up so interesting.
0: It means so much to us. And I think because we weren't exposed to a lot, uh, that, that was our entertainment. Uh, that was our recreation. It was our sport. It was our love. It was our everything. And and the community rallied around us. It was just something that we knew that was important at a young age. We came together how important it was for us to be a part of that lineage. You know, it, it was ingrained into our head at a very young age. To be a Burns Rebel, you had to operate a certain way. It's memories I could tell my kids one day.
1: When you put on that jersey for the first time as a player, as a 14, 15-year-old, what did that feel like? Because for so many years, you're wearing somebody else's jersey, and now for the first time, you get to pull on that Burns jersey for yourself, and you're going out on the field. You're running downhill, mowing guys over. A dream?
0: A dream is really the only way to describe it, uh, because I, didn't, I wasn't looking forward to college. I was looking forward to being a Burns Rebel. My heroes, Will Corn. Uh, A guy that played at Clemson, uh, had a very interesting career in college, but he was my hero growing up. Prince Miller, another guy, born and raised in Duncan, South Carolina. Uh, My hero growing up, went to play at the University of Georgia, Everett Dawkins, Florida State University. Uh, All of these guys I watched ever since I, I was a little kid. And, you know, even my brother, my brother played at the same high school. You know, it it created that you just wanted to be a part of that because your role models were doing the same thing and they influenced us so much. They would show up at our elementary schools and read to us. They would show up at our middle schools and give us talks. They were our North Stars. They guided us and, and, and we just wanted to be a part of that.
1: When you started having success on the football field, Marcus, uh, you were South Carolina's Mr. Football. You played in the U.S. Army All-American Bowl in 2010. When you started having that success and you saw kids wearing your jersey, how did that make you feel?
0: It's surreal. doesn't feel real. It's cool. You don't know how to respond in those types of situations. When it first initially started, I was a little bit afraid. I didn't want that big of a responsibility on my shoulders you grow up in South Carolina you kind of get used to it if you're excelling on the football field so it just becomes a part of who you are and I and I knew that I was following in the lineage of the guys that I looked at the guys jerseys that I wore and they bared that responsibility so why couldn't I uh and and they did a great job with it and I knew my purpose in life then was to be a good role model and show kids uh, how to get to this level. You know, and, and at that time, you know, just being very naive and and young, I thought life was all about football. I thought, and I, I knew the impact that I could make through football. I, that's something I completely understood, but I thought life was about football. It opened the door, you know, that experience of having people look at you as somebody to look up to it opened the door to uh, a whole new world i can say that
1: do you think though marcus with that much responsibility comes unrealistic expectations you're a teenager you're in high school and although it is cool that kids look up to you and i think we briefly discussed this when we spoke a few weeks ago unrealistic expectations and people assuming that and, and I'm guilty of this too. Looking at athletes, looking at them as if they're a superhero, 24/7, seven days a week. When in reality, once you're done on the football field and you go home, you have you could have the similar th- you have the similar things going on that somebody like myself would have.
0: I believe that's the biggest downfall. You know that that people put their hope into 17 and 18 year olds. People depend on them to entertain to be a good role model, uh, to be a good citizen. You're expected to be perfect in a sense. We all know that if you're human, that's impossible. But at the same time, with a young mind at that age, you're going to do everything in your power to put your best foot forward. All right. So if you have to put on a facade and pretend as if everything's okay, that's what you're going to do. Uh, if you have to put on the front to try and uh, make people believe that you're OK, I mean, that, that that's what you're going to do, because you have this idea that society has put you in a box. This is who you are. This is only who, who you can be. And you're looked at in a certain light. You're looked at in this such a positive light that if anybody is to see a flaw or a weakness or you make a mistake, you feel like the world is crumbling around you. And that's a dangerous spot for a young man to be in who's getting a lot of attention in high school or in college because that leads to him covering up some things that he doesn't like about himself or some things that he may struggle with or not having the courage uh, to cry or show his emotions. I think that's dangerous.
1: Do you think that you had that much pressure because Marcus you you're one of the most decorated high school athletes in the entire state of South Carolina and the entire country. <laughs> I remember we're we're the same age. I remember reading about you, you know, and I and I would always think to myself as a 16 and 17 year old, this is so cool. But I only looked at it through that lens of that superhero lens. I never looked at it from the other side that if you mess up or if you if one thing happens then everyone's just going to jump on you and you think the world's
0: going to come to an end like you said and that's when the mass develops it develops at that young age when you live in this light when you live with this idea that you can't make mistakes you have to be perfect you have to be on all the time people have a certain perception of you and you must match their perception I dealt with that pressure. I dealt with that struggle. Uh, I vividly remember being in high school because I just wanted to be normal. So bad, just because you could run a football well, does not mean that you're not human. Humans deal with a lot or an array of different emotions. And so do football players, maybe even more, just because of the pressure that they're getting from their coaches. But on 4th of July, It was around 4th of July. I don't remember the exact date, but my friends and I, we were hanging out. We had some fireworks. I decided to pop a firework in school. What I've realized now, uh, 12 years later, that was just an act of rebellion. I wanted to be normal. I was conditioned to pretend as if everything was okay when I just wanted to blend in. I just wanted to blend in with my friends and be a regular dude. And I didn't think too much about it after the incident happened, but my high school coach called me. And once my high school coach called me and my mom called me at the same time, I knew there was a problem. I knew I was in big trouble. Uh, My mom told me to come home. My coach was sitting on my couch. He said, there's a possibility that you might be expelled from school, just from that act. And I broke down. I was yelling, I was crying, I was screaming, I said I do not want this responsibility anymore. I do not want to play football anymore. I'm sick of trying to be this perfect guy. Again, 12 years later I realized that I just want to fit in. I didn't want I didn't want that responsibility, but it was it was on me. It was on me and I had to d- I had to learn and figure out a way to deal with it. You know, and through a lot of ups and downs and mistakes I I think that uh, things have worked out okay, but my need to put my best foot forward when I was around strangers or fans, I guess you could call them fans at that time. uh, My need to be who they wanted me to be was overpowering uh, my emotions and uh, it led to a lot more mistakes later on in my life. But i realized at that moment, you know, that my life was going in a, in a different way. The trajectory of my life was uh, headed in a very different direction, and I had to be prepared for it.
1: Why did you continue playing football? When you had that moment breaking down in front of your mom and your high school football coach, why did you continue to go?
0: My high school coach, Coach Bobby Bentley, uh, who's now the tight end coach at the University of South Carolina, gave me a statement. And he said, look, the Lord wouldn't put – too much on you uh, if you couldn't bear it. You know, at that time, that really spoke to me. It basically said to myself that I can handle this. Uh, I can handle this responsibility. Another thing he said it, it wasn't going to slow down. Uh, you're only going to receive more attention, you're only going to receive more praise and, and, and more criticism that comes with it. And, you know, it's just the life of somebody in the public spotlight. He was a great role model for me throughout that time because I did struggle. I struggled uh, with with accepting the fact that this was my new life, a life full of attention. I didn't care too much about the attention. I just wanted to play football with my boys.
1: It's crazy to think that all you wanted to do, you alluded to earlier, was just blend in. Be the everyday, the everyday person. Wake up, you know, if you... If you mess up a little bit, you know, no one cares. I mean, let's face it, we're all teenagers. We all do stupid things at one point in time. Uh, I, I've lost track of how many dumb things I did I did as a teenager, and, and that's the sole reason why my parents have so many wrinkles on on their, on their faces. It's hard because when you're that young, I mean, you're still developing, right? Physically, mentally, and you're relying on parents, football coaches, and in some respect, like, these strangers, when at the end of the day, you don't need to listen to them, but, but how else would you know?
0: It's a dangerous way to live, uh, especially if you don't have the tools and know how to express your emotions. If you don't know how to express your emotions, which most kids don't at that age, it can lead to very destructive habits that you develop. I'm a life coach at Lewis and Clark now. I see those same patterns developing. My whole job is to inform them and educate them on you know, what it's like uh, if you're unaware, if you're unaware of who you are, if you're unaware of these certain things that pop up uh, within your life. You, you wouldn't know at that age. You're really learning on the fly. You know, That's one thing that I vowed as an adult not to do, uh, not learn on the fly, learn from others' mistakes. You know, a wise man learns from others' mistakes. A knowledgeable man learns from his mistakes. And, and, and that's what I'm shooting for in my life is just to, you know, be that voice of reason for guys who are trying to figure out all of these different complex emotions that we deal with and all these different situations in life that bring us to so much despair.
1: It's hard to navigate life. And I don't think anyone could ever prepare you for that. Uh, You know, unfortunately, on on my side, there have been some family things that happened. uh, And I, as a 17, 18-year-old, I had no clue what to do. I acted out in some destructive ways that weren't good. And, you know, looking back on it, you know, back then, what else are you supposed to do? You know, but looking back on it, as an almost 30-year-old, I'm like, wow, really? Like, I couldn't have handled that in a in a more mature uh, manner. But when you don't know, you don't know and you just go with your gut instinct. And I think what you're doing now is more important than what what these kids are doing on the football field.
0: I mean, you brought up a good point about, you know, just being at that age. I mean, studies have shown in particular with males, the brain is not developed until you're 25. You couple impulsive actions with sexual hormones, with, attention from people that you don't even know, that's not a good cocktail, not a good recipe for uh, success and production in life. It's a, it's a recipe for disaster, particularly when you're not educated on what you're doing. Again, like you mentioned, what I'm trying to do right now is to educate those potential pitfalls that come with success, that come with playing football, uh, with any sport that, that involves you getting attention.
1: The spotlight only got brighter. Such a decorated high school athlete. Marcus, you were being recruited by Auburn, University of South Carolina, Clemson. The list goes on and on. These are high-profile schools. Segwaying back to your playing career, as the spotlight began to grow more and more, why did you pick South Carolina over, let's say, a Clemson? Because, like you alluded to earlier, those are the two schools. You either go to Clemson or you go to South Carolina.
0: You know, that decision boiled down to – Comfort, number one. Number two, I knew a lot of the guys that were going to the University of South Carolina. We were friends. Uh, We played in a bunch of all-star games together. We played against each other in high school. But number three, again, before I say this, I'm going to say you don't know what you don't know. Like you said earlier, there's something about success and attention and fame that's intoxicating. There's something about it. There's a component to it that becomes addicting. And yes, You may not like it in the initial phase, but the things that come with success, fame and attention, you start to love those things. And because you're in the spotlight, a lot of people don't tell you no. And because a lot of people don't tell you no, you see that as a good thing. When in all actuality, if you're aware of yourself, you realize that it's dangerous and it's toxic. I didn't realize that at that age. South Carolina was an exciting place to go. I saw Stefan Gilmore the year before who committed there, uh, who kind of was a big reason why why I could, why I even considered South Carolina because I saw him have success. People knowing who you are becomes your new normal. You start to enjoy it and you think it'll last forever. Another reason why I picked South Carolina is because it was exciting.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's, <laughs> it's your you're in your home state, dude. I mean yeah. that that's it. But But don't you think in some ways that's just making the mask form to your face even
0: more? It solidified that mask. Um, Now you step into a new arena, not with 2,000 students in your high school, but 40,000 students on the campus. Before you even step on campus, the professors and every person in administration knows your name and knows who you are. You play games on ESPN and all of these different networks that are 6 million, 7 million uh, people watching watching you play the game, uh, and 80,000 people are cheering for you in a stadium. That creates a bit of an ego. You can say you're humble all you want. I thought I knew what being humble was. I knew when and when not to turn it on and turn it off. I knew how to turn on uh, my manners and my respect. I knew how to turn on my decency, but I also knew when to turn it off in the situations when I could turn it off. And that was when I was with my boys, uh, when we went out and then, and, and we had, and we went to parties, I knew that I could use my celebrity to get certain things. Now I didn't abuse that authority. I've been around a lot of people who have abused that authority and abuse their power you become someone who is addicted to power in a sense, especially when you're unaware. And this is my psychological side coming out because that's all I study now. Uh, you, you become somebody who, who loves being, although you can downplay it as if you don't, you love being the center of attention. Now, because that's that's what I was every Saturday, uh, the center of attention. and. You, you you don't want that to end Monday through Friday, uh, but I was able to get a hold of it. I had good people around me. Uh, I had friends around me who kept me grounded and a family, and, and you know my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife. She kept me grounded a good bit um, because it, it, it's a it's just a lot that you're trying to juggle in that situation. Don't
1: you think though, Marcus? And it kind of goes back to we were- talking about a few minutes ago that I feel like it wouldn't be normal if you didn't embrace all that comes with being uh, one of the most decorated players in the state, you know, because it goes back to at that age, how else would you know? Now there, there's a degree of abusing the power, but I think that if you went the, the other way, I I don't know. I, then, then I don't think you get to this point now where you, where you get to look back and reflect and you, and you get to shepherd the next crop
0: of kids. Colin, it, you're right. It definitely happened for a reason. I believe things happen for a reason. If you if you have the courage or you dare to study your life or examine your life, uh, you can learn a lot from your mistakes. You can learn a lot from your failures. Uh, you can learn a lot from, you know, some of the behavior that you've had in the past. And you can share that with other folks. Uh, So so I I do agree with you that the gauntlet of college football that I went through, celebrity, fame, whatever you want to call it, it definitely happened for a reason.
1: And now, Marcus, I'm going to read off some statistics for you because your freshman year at South Carolina, 1,197 rushing yards, 17 rushing touchdowns in 13 games.
0: I can't take credit for all of that. We had a great offensive line. We had a senior offensive line uh who are who were also our leaders on the team. Coach Spurrier put me in a lot of good positions to make plays. And you know, I worked my ass off to get on the field. Those are team statistics. Uh, but I also know that, you know, I put a lot of work and effort into being able to produce those type of numbers, and it was fun. Uh did I expect that result? Absolutely not. I was scared to death when I stepped on campus as much confidence as I tried to exude. I was scared to death, I was nervous. I just knew I I, I needed to work hard. That's all I knew.
1: I mean, I guess how could you not be? You're 18 years old, you have, everyone's looking at you to go in and have instant success, which you did. But Marcus, the next two years at South Carolina, statistically were great, but unfortunately a string of injuries, uh, you tore your ACL in your left knee your sophomore year. Um, that experience like what did you learn from an experience like that when you, you're so successful everyone's like Marcus Marcus you're in all these national conversations then you tear ACL you're injured you're out for the year
0: now you you mentioned my freshman year earlier where I I, I was a little scared puppy ready to run you know don't get me wrong I was I was excited about playing, and I was thankful for the opportunity, but I was also nervous. Now, going into my sophomore year, I was confident. I was bigger. I was faster. I was stronger. I wanted the Heisman Trophy, and I knew it was mine. I go into the ninth game of the year, and I tear my ACL and my MCL, the first time I've ever sat out for an extended period of time, Uh, first time I've ever had a major injury. I didn't know what to do, had no clue. I didn't know how to handle that situation. It was lonely. I was in a very dark place, because without football, I lacked identity. Football gave me that purpose. It gave me that drive. It gave me a reason to wake up in the morning, and without it, I didn't know what to do. But it finally set in that that this was gonna be my reality, Uh, and I had to have surgery and rehab. Uh, I attacked it. And you know what I learned from that experience, I learned, I learned what I was made of. I learned that even though my situation didn't go how I planned it or how I envisioned it, I had a choice of how I could respond to it. You know, and the choice I made was to attack rehab every single day and take it step by step by step. And uh, I learned the imp- God, I learned the importance of patience. I learned the importance of a process, and that prepared me for my junior season.
1: During that time when you're rehabbing, did it give you extra time to discuss and, and to really dive more into yourself in, in the whole mask facade, or did you still just kind of push that off a little bit and really just focus on football? Because there, there are two different lives. You have your football life and then you have your outside of football life, which are you're going in two different directions.
0: I didn't do any self-examination. I didn't. I was I was still I was still unaware Uh, of my emotions and 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 how they dominated me or i was focused on football i was focused on rehab academics uh you know in college those were my two main focuses Uh, i really didn't care about anything else outside of that sad to say but it was that mass was still it was still operating Uh, not on a high level because I was humbled because of the injury. You go through something like that, you you realize that you're not Superman. Uh, You realize that this game can't be taken away in an instant. Football, rehabbing, academics was my main priority. Getting back on the field uh, was my main priority.
1: And obviously you did do that. Your junior year, you get back, you off to another fast start. I mean, uh, again, incredible statistics early on. But then in October of 2012 against Tennessee, I remember watching that game and you get tackled and it just seemed like an everyday tackle from a viewer's perspective. But once they zoomed in on the shot and I saw your face, it was it was something bad.
0: This is how I know there's an operating force in the universe. (laughs) The, The night before that game, I was named team captain. And I was asked to say a few words. And the words that I said to my teammates was, guys, go out there and play every play like it's your last because it may be your last. Wow. That's what you said the night before? I said that the night before in front of our team. There's a force operating in the universe. Time stopped in that instant because I couldn't believe it was actually happening again. I knew it was bad simply by how I dropped the ball. There was no thought. It was all animalistic impulse. I put my hands straight on my knee to try to put my knee back in place. When I couldn't put my knee back in place, I didn't know what to really think. Uh, My athletic trainers came rushing out. Uh, They got me on the table. They finally got it back in place, rushed me to the hospital. Uh, I knew there was a possibility. Uh, by how they were talking, that it was very bad to not have to go into surgery uh, as soon as possible. Time stops in that moment. I, I, there was no thinking, I didn't hear anything. You know, I looked at my teammates and I saw their faces. I saw the dread in their faces. Uh, it was just a grim day. Uh, it was uh, dreary, uh, the sun wasn't out. A hard day for a lot of people, particularly my family members. I didn't want them to go through that again. And when I say go through that, I'm talking about the world knows what's going on. They're receiving 100 texts a day asking how I am. It's overwhelming, over uh, an overwhelming array of emotions that you feel throughout that situation. And uh, it sucked. That day sucked.
1: Isn't it hard, though, because there you are, you're on the field and everything stops. It's almost like the, the crowd noise goes down. It's like blinders on and it's just you with your thoughts, but you're not even really thinking. And then so many people are, are hitting you up. But how do you know which of those people like genuinely care about Marcus and those that care about Marcus, the football player?
0: You know after. Uh, you, you know who really cares about you after something like that you know who really, who's really in your corner. I knew who my wife was going to be after that situation. Uh, I knew who my true friends were. Uh, I knew who was there just because of my name. Go through something hard, go through something tough, everything will be revealed to you. Uh, it's like a new lease on life. I'm forever grateful uh, to the fans. In my mom's garage right now, there's over 200,000 letters uh, from fans all across America, across the world, but particularly the state of South Carolina. And, you know, that support forever uh, will forever be appreciated.
1: I get chills hearing that because you have all this success, you have a horrific knee injury, and then it's just nice to see that people forget about you as a football player and they just see this guy, great guy. Worked his butt off, gave everything that he could to his team, to his university. Um, I mean, that, it's nice to know that people can kind of turn off that, oh, he's not going to win the Heisman. It's a, it's a trophy. You know, it, it's, it's a trophy. And don't get me wrong, it would be sweet to hoist the Heisman Trophy. But at what cost? At what expense?
0: Kids are amazing. The, the letters I received from elementary schools were the most thoughtful. Uh, They actually thought about what they said. They described where they were when it happened, whether they were in the stands or at home. They also described how they felt when it happened. Those kids are probably in high school now, uh, but I still have those letters. They remind me to be more thoughtful. They remind me to be more caring. They remind me to be a more generous person. Uh, So I'll never forget that 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 support that I receive is particularly from those kids, from kids all across America.
1: Doesn't it kind of remind you in some ways back to your high school days at Burns when those kids in the stands were wearing
0: their Marcus Lattimore jersey? It's full circle. It comes back full circle when I was that kid. When you're the person receiving the support, it's what life is all about, I think. Being there for somebody when they're down, uh, not only when they're up. When you look at your knees and and you
1: see those scars from your playing days, what do they represent from your perspective?
0: Resilience. Pain is no different for, for resilient people. They just choose to use their pain. They choose to analyze the situation that hurt them and use it for good. And really that's what I've been trying to do ever since those two injuries happened. Life is full of suffering whether it be death in the family, an injury, you fail a test, your girlfriend breaks up with you, whatever the case may be, you're, you're going to go through tough times. That's just the way of the world. We have the ability to reason with other people. So we feel other people's pain, but you can choose how to respond, you know, when you're down. And what I've noticed, the people throughout history who we admire the most, Gandhi, Nelson Mandela, Martin Luther King, all of the people that fought for human rights throughout history, they all went through a lot of pain. They all went through a lot of suffering. They all hit obstacles along the way, but we admire those people. We respect those people. We're thankful and grateful for those types of individuals. You know, that's how I try to model my life. If you develop resiliency, you can accomplish whatever you want to accomplish and make something good out of the suffering that you went through. It's a powerful thing. The easy thing to do is just use that as an excuse. The easy thing to do is just lay down and, and you know, stay in a shell, which is going to lead to more suffering uh, because you haven't addressed uh, how that situation hurts you. I've received more satisfaction in life talking to a 14-year-old female who's torn her ACL three times than any touchdown that I've ever scored in williams Bright Stadium. I've received more satisfaction in life sitting down with an athlete who has broken his ankle, telling him, you know, to keep pushing and keep going because you're going to learn so much about yourself through this than any accomplishment or award, I was inducted into the Hall of Fame for South Carolina. Yeah, that was great. But helping people get through tough times is a lot more gratifying. It's a lot more satisfying than any of that. What
1: you just said is extremely powerful. And that's the message I want people to understand, is that it's much, much bigger. Football is is a part of you, but it doesn't define you. It's not you. And I think that's really freaking cool that having those experiences and helping people through tough times is more is holds more weight to you in your life because at the end of the day and i said this in a previous podcast people are not going to remember your bank account maybe they'll remember your accolades maybe they won't but what they'll really remember is being there for someone in a time of need and not leaving their side
0: that's it in life and society Uh, the times that we're living in, we need a lot more empathy and compassion. One thing that I've learned is that, man, the greatest gift that you can give somebody is your attention. The greatest gift you can give somebody is your ear. And because of that, I've been able to cultivate so many relationships uh, with young men, with young women. Uh, I've improved my relationship with my wife, uh, with my mom. Uh, just because I've learned the skill of empathy, I've learned the skill of compassion, because I, that that's what I received when I was going through uh, some of the most challenging times in my life. I received that. It was reciprocated. You know, life's too short. Life is too fleeting to look at it only through our view. Put yourself in somebody else's shoes and help them and watch how fulfilled you become.
1: That's what life is all about, helping other people, making others feel good. It's, it's that simple. It's, 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 isn't it kind of weird, though, because it, it's simple when, you, when, when we say it aloud, but it's hard to do because maybe you are a top-notch football player and you have the spotlight on you and everyone's saying yes to everything that you want. And that small thing just kind of gets
0: lost. It, it, it can completely get lost. And you can, and you can believe that you're more important than you actually are. We're all stardust. We all live on this planet together. There are no squiggly lines that separate California from Nevada when you look at Earth from space. We're all interconnected in some way. And if we start to realize that as humans, this nation will heal. Everything will run a lot smoother. We all want the same things. You know, you you, you look at any group, any organization. You look at a gang, look at the gangs in in Los Angeles right now. What are they looking for? They're looking for love. They're looking for acceptance. They're looking for somebody to listen. They're looking for a place where they can belong. And when we don't have those things, we're going to search for them, whether it be through violence, whether it be through drugs, uh, whether it be, however the case may be, we're all looking for the same things. I guess my journey has kinda kinda showed me that a little bit.
1: Without the injuries, do you think you would be where you are now having this perspective on life? Or do you think those two instances, your sophomore year and the devastating one, your junior year, really helped reshape you?
0: I'm thankful for my knee injuries. I'm thankful and I'm grateful. Why? Because I became more self-aware. Uh, I, I didn't have a, I didn't have an option but to look in the mirror. When football ends, I had to redirect my whole life and find a, uh, and find a new skill, a new interest, a new why. I had to find a new why. You know, going through that, it's kind of showed me that you will hit a wall in your life. Obstacles will come, wh- whether you like it or not. Adversity didn't stop after those two knee injuries. Life doesn't stop after those two knee injuries. You're going to hit more walls. If you look at those walls, you grow. If you decide to look at what hurts you, you will grow. If you decide to use what hurt you, you will grow. And and I've grown so much because that happened in my life. I don't think I'd be in. I don't think I'd be as self-aware as I am today if I didn't go through those two knee injuries.
1: Do you think in some ways, and I hate that it happened the way that it did, right? Because you ne- you never want to see that. The look that you had on your face that day, like I, I mean, you, you could see it. But do you think in some ways it was the universe sending you a message in some really messed up way to, hey, dude, it's time to look at yourself in the mirror and it's time to start peeling off that mask to get to where you are now?
0: Colin, I 100% agree with that simply because... of of when it happened and how it happened. Because I was heading in a direction, where I was going, where my life was going, it was going towards the NFL. In the NFL, that means you're making a lot more money. And when you have a lot more money and, and, and people, and you still haven't realized the danger of people telling you no, and you still haven't come to the realization that attention and fame is all superficial, When you haven't come to that realization yet and you mix that with money, I think we've all seen the stories uh, of what happens. You know, 80 percent of NFL players go broke two years after they retire, not because they're not intelligent. You have to be very smart to learn a playbook this thick. It's because they're living life aimlessly. And when you live life aimlessly, you're just searching You're searching for the satisfaction. So my mindset at that time, at that age, was if I have money, I'll be happy. If I have success, I'll be happy. If I have fame, that gives me happiness. And I thought the NFL was the last step. What I learned through those injuries is that, I mean, it's all an illusion. Happiness is a byproduct of you living with virtues and doing what you love. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's really simple as that. I mean, it's, it has nothing to do with the superficiality of life and the things that society values. Society may value having a nice car, nice clothes, nice place. And all of that is fine. I'm all for that, you know, because I have that, but it's, it's not what makes you who you are. Uh, It doesn't make you better than somebody. And, you know, it's a a messed up, distorted view of life to have. And it only leads to bad things when you look at life through that lens.
1: I've always wondered how that lens even came into fruition, right? Because it's not like, it's like, how did that happen? How did that become what people look through? And I've always, I've tried to understand that for so many years. And unfortunately, I've still come up empty, but... And I don't think I ever will, and I don't know if anybody ever will. But you really think about to to when we when human beings came to be, how did that somehow pop into the equation?
0: That's such a uh, important question that that needs to be addressed because it, it shapes the minds. It shapes the minds, and it colors our perception of how we look at life, and that and it's a dangerous way to look at life. Part of the reason is because. Uh, what Wu-Tang said, cash rules, everything around me, cream. And, I mean, that, and, and that is, uh, unfortunately, that's, that's the world that we live in, where, where money is king and status and acceptance and all of these things that really don't matter at the end of the day. It, it, it makes us who we are. Again, it only leads to disappointment later on in life and you just continue the search
1: you did end up getting drafted. I don't want to I don't want to leave out the fact that you did make it to the NFL. You did get drafted by the San Francisco 49ers in the 2013 NFL draft. After everything you had been through at South Carolina, and I guess just starting from your childhood all the way up, what was that moment like for you even though your perspective was changing? The NFL, dude, like uh, 99% of people that never happens.
0: Well, just because I I went through those injuries doesn't mean I lost the game, lost the love of the game of football. I will always and forever love the game of football. And any opportunity to play it where I felt like I could make a difference, I was going to take that opportunity. And I knew after that last injury, my window was dwindling. My window was closing real quick. You know, nobody wants a running back with two knee injuries. So I had to get back uh, I had the rehab. I was able to put put together a performance on pro day, uh, where I showed my footwork. I showed my pro- my progress, uh, and that was about four and a half months uh, after the injury. I was able to do a little bit, and, and that and that was enough. Uh, and you know, through the interviews of you know meeting with different teams and also meeting with Coach Harbaugh, I think he saw that you know I was serious. And he saw my character and her heart that I'd been working and they took a chance and they gave me an opportunity. And now I'm, I'm yeah, again, another life changing experience going out to San Francisco, uh, learning from Frank Gore. Uh, my running back coach at the time was Tom Rathman who played in two Super Bowls, gathering all this knowledge uh, and, and being in an NFL locker room, an absolute dream come true dream come true.
1: Did it matter at that point, the round or anything? Because prior to the injury, I know you were being talked about as a first round pick. Did it even matter at that point anymore? Or was it just like, hey, I I want to get a chance in the NFL?
0: I didn't care. I didn't care where I went. I heard from, even after the injury, I heard from first round to undrafted. So my agent literally had no clue. He was talking with a bunch of teams that were very interested. He was talking with a few teams that wouldn't even sniff at the possibility of drafting me. The San Francisco 49ers took a, took a chance on me. And uh, I still have a relationship with that front office today. <laughs> they call on me whenever they're at South Carolina uh, and, and they're looking for guys, especially when I was working there. We talked about Debo Samuel a lot with their head scouts, you know, so that relationship still exists today. Although I didn't get an opportunity to play, I learned a lot. I learned a lot uh, about being a professional. I learned a lot about the NFL, which is also going to help me in the job that I uh, currently serve now.
1: Why did you retire before playing in an NFL game?
0: I wasn't at the level that I wanted to be at. I was pushing through a knee that wasn't made for the game of football anymore. The trauma that my right knee has been through, I didn't want to put it through any more trauma. And, you know, I looked at my life and I said, I'm going to be 30 one day. I'm going to be 35 one day. And I still love to be active. Do I want to risk not having the opportunity to run around with my kids? Or do I want to make a little bit more money and and play this game that I love. Really came down to that decision. I had to be farsighted and say, look, I want to have kids one day. I want to be able to run with them, play with them. I think that's a little bit more important.
1: It's amazing that you had that foresight because in the moment you get drafted. Such an exciting time and you're, you're just itching to get into a game. But to take a step back, in some ways, I look at this as like a huge step in the process of where you are now. And, and this is just from my perspective, where you took a step back, you evaluated yourself, you evaluated you, and made that decision. It wasn't somebody else saying something else.
0: And you know what? It was a hard decision. It was not an easy decision. After talking with a few people, it, it became clear the decision I needed to make. Walking away from the game I love, uh, hanging those cleats up, was not easy. But... You know, most decisions in life that are that big, you know, whether you're deciding on a job or, you know, what to do next, the uh, transition, what to do. They're never easy decisions, but you go with it, you stick with it and you do the best you can. You try to find that next step. And and, and, and that's what I've that's what I've done. I've, I've remained steadfast and I've remained committed. Uh, to, to try to find that next act in life. And I've, I think i found it. To get to
1: that point, because like you said, it's hard to walk away from a game that you love so much. It's, it's, it's a part of your core and always will be the transition period. What was that like? How did you navigate that? You're in the Bay area, you walk away and then it's, like this giant, millions of different roads. Like, I'm just like curious from your perspective, from a psychological perspective, how do you know which road to pick?
0: Well, at that time I did what came natural. Uh, What came natural was to go back to school and finish my degree. I knew that would be important in my future. So I went back to the University of South Carolina, enrolled back in school, received my degree in May of 2016 uh, in public health. Again, I still didn't, have a clear picture of what I wanted, Uh, but I knew what made me happy. Uh, I knew what gave me fulfillment, and that was helping young people. Uh, I didn't know what avenue I wanted to go down to. I wasn't for sure if it was coaching. I tried coaching the first year, and, and it was fun. It was amazing, but I didn't think that was something I wanted to do full time. I started to learn a lot more about myself again, you know, just, diving into human nature. And I realized that there's a lot of people walking around who lack that self-awareness. And I realized how important that was in athletics to have. Uh, in athletics, when you have that self-awareness, that transition after your sport ends is not so challenging. If you do, you know, took a stab at director of player development and Coach Mustamp, I'm so thankful he gave me that opportunity to work with uh, the University of South Carolina. And I I learned and I grew and I helped a lot of kids. Now I'm here at Lewis & Clark working as a life coach, as a mentor. I assist with the running backs, but I'm not the full-time position coach. I realize how important my job is. Being someone who has to find creative ways to motivate, uh, to, to keep the group engaged, Uh, but also to provide them with life skills and social skills that are going to help them later on in life that I did not have. Quite frankly, sometimes a counselor, uh, because I am learning those skills and thinking about enrolling into their psychology program to, to receive my master's. My journey revealed to me some things that would help student athletes navigate through the challenges that life presents them. And I try to do that with transparency. I try to do that with the psychology practices that I've learned. I try to do that through humility so they understand that, you know, what I'm saying is is pertinent to your future. Uh, It's important for your future. I'm fulfilled. Uh, I enjoy what I do. I want to continue to do this and grow in this role. And I know that you know, eventually I want to end up in a leadership position where I'm moving the chess pieces and and, and I'm looking at what's best for student athletes. Can I create an environment that is conducive to growth where they are comfortable? When student athletes are comfortable in an environment where they feel they're not being judged, uh, when they're in an environment where they feel that they can come to you, uh you can pour into them easily and they and they will listen to you
1: I feel like it all ties back to the mask stuff we were talking about earlier where when they speak with you they don't have to they don't have to wear a mask because you're coming at them from that pers- with that perspective I should say of wearing a mask and and what it does and you just say hey like let's let's talk about life and if you want to talk about football we can talk about football um and I'm sure that's something that they've never seen before? Because who does that?
0: Colin, that's, that's the goal of what I'm trying to do, uh, is, is, to, is to break down those exteriors, take those facades off, take the front off, and speak to them, number one, as human beings. Uh, speak to them with transparency, uh, but also realize that they have somebody that will always listen and not judge them. You know, when that happens, you, you, you come, you don't move away from who you are, you come closer to that core of who you are, and, and, and w- which is gonna help you find out what you like and what you don't like, what you're interested in. And you know that's the goal, to try to get them to become the best version of themselves, putting them in a growth mindset, creating an environment where it's comfortable, where they know they're always gonna have somebody that listens. I'm going back to what we talked about earlier, I'm thankful for what I went through because now I have real life experience, real tangible experience that they can look at and see, huh, OK, if Coach Lat went through this, I can figure out a way to navigate through this. But we do it together. Student athletes need this more than ever, especially this generation in particular. They're just bombarded and they're saturated by so much information online, especially through social media, kind of change their brain a little bit, trying to be that voice of reason for them.
1: I don't know if you realize this, that you're changing the way that people are approaching sports in life. You're essentially, from my perspective, creating your own niche where you're going in, teaming up with these student athletes and talking about things that parents won't even talk about with their own kids.
0: And Colin, I believe that with this generation, it's a necessity. It's not something that can can be up for negotiation. You You, you, you have to have someone who has social and emotional intelligence within your program if you want to get the best out of this generation old school style coaching is not going to work with them anymore all right their attention span has been depleted and it's not their fault it's just the times that we live in they live in a different way than than, than you and I did you know to get to them you must be able to relate to them If you cannot relate to them, it goes one ear and not the other. It's been fun. It's been a fun challenge to find ways to motivate them because it's not easy. It doesn't matter what your name is. Yes, they knew who I was when I came on campus, but that does not mean anything. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care.
1: Would you say that you're living your truth now, Marcus?
0: Um... I think that's a great way to put it. I really do. Uh, living, living what I feel convicted in, um, living what I know is vital in growth. Um, being myself. Yes. That's absolutely, that's the greatest way to put it. I'm living in my truth.
1: When I was doing some research for our conversation, these are the words that I wrote down. Curiosity, faith, spirituality, growth mindset. Those are the words that I, I felt seem to describe you in, in ways that many people, I feel like, will, will never have any of that, Marcus.
0: I don't think you could have described it any better. My love for learning, my walk, my faith in believing that if you do good, and you remain committed to it, and you remain consistent, things just tend to work out. It's believing that virtue is enough. I don't strive for things in my life anymore. I don't strive for success. I don't strive for fame or celebrity. I don't strive to be this person. I just try to be the best version of myself that I can be every day. And the only way I feel like you can do that is if you Continue to learn, stay curious, uh, continue to find new ways to grow. If you put your faith in something bigger than yourself, if you serve in other people, money comes. Things just work out. Uh, Life works out for you, Uh, but you but you can't fool yourself. You know, you have to you have to self-analyze and self-check every day, because if you don't, you might miss something. Uh, look in the mirror every day and say, what can I do? And also be compassionate with yourself. Uh, don't don't beat yourself up when you make a mistake. Uh, be human and, and just continue to go. Can, just continue to wake up with the right the right attitude.
1: It's so hard because for me, when I look at myself in the mirror, when people have asked me, have you ever been beaten up before? I said, yeah, I've beaten myself up thousands of times over the course of my life. And like you said, not only do you have to be compassionate with other people, but yourself. If you're not compassionate with yourself, I mean, it's almost like how could you be compassionate with other people? How can you do all these other great things that you want to do if you can't even just look at yourself and love yourself to a degree? And I don't mean that in a, I mean that in in, in the best way possible, if that makes
0: sense. I, oh, absolutely. And, and I, I completely agree with you, you know. There's, there's a big difference between self-criticism and self-compassion. Only one of those leads to you developing confidence. If you want to be a confident person, every time you drop a ball or you fumble the ball, you cuss yourself out or you uh, you throw an interception and you're just cussing yourself out, well, now you're going to ruminate on that thought. You're going to ruminate on that thought over and over and over again. You're going to replay how terrible of a person you are just because you made a mistake or you failed that doesn't define who you are but if you talk to yourself with more gentle words or 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 you look at yourself as a human you'll realize that you'll laugh those things off not necessarily laughing at when you make a mistake or, or you fail but you'll laugh at the fact that, man, I can't believe I used to talk to myself like that. You're beating yourself up. Now you got your coach beating yourself, beating you up. I mean, that's you're not going to win that fight. But but you, you develop confidence when you talk to yourself in a way that is soothing. Talk to yourself in a way that is uh, more productive. It's a big difference in those two, and. and the, the first initial reaction for us as humans is to beat ourselves up because we put a lot of expectations on ourselves. I still do it to this day, but I'm learning that that doesn't develop confidence. You have to talk to yourself in a way as if you like yourself.
1: And that's something I struggle with all, all the time. It, and it's so weird how you could help other people, but then when it comes to yourself, you know, if a friend asks me for help with something, I'll help them. I'll do what I can. But then when it comes to something internal with myself, all of a sudden it's become this trying to climb Mount Everest ordeal. And you think about it, you're, you're like, what's the difference? It's take those same, pra- take the same practices of kindness and gentleness and just bestow that upon yourself.
0: You bring up a beautiful point. It, it's looking at yourself objectively looking at yourself for what you are not looking at yourself through the lens through a subjective lens and when i say objectively like this is you are not that interception you are not that fumble you are not that mistake you're a human that made a mistake you're a human that is having an issue you're a human that's having a challenge that's you you're not defined by that challenge when you look at yourself for what it like, just straight objectively, you realize that exactly what you just said, you give yourself the advice you would give your best friend.
1: (laughs) That's all you have to do. I mean, this, the stuff we've talked about it, it's, it's simple when we verbalize it to one another, right? We say it and we're like, yes. And then you get put in that, you get put in that trying moment. And then all of a sudden it's like, wait a second, i it's like you totally lose yourself and you forget what to do. And that's why I love what you're doing so much, Marcus. Why, like, you're impacting these kids. These kids will never forget it. And you want to know what? Then they're going to pass that on. The impact you're going to have is going to last generations. And I think that's something you should feel great about, dude. I mean, I don't know what else you could ask for.
0: Thank you, Colin. I, I, I appreciate you saying that. I saw a quote that applies to what you just said. It's about a coach and the impact that he will have in 10 years versus somebody that goes through their whole life. And, and you know what, that, that's that's the beautiful thing about coaching, teaching, uh, any any profession where you're allowed to be in front of young people, you have a lot of power in that situation. How you choose to use that power is is up to you. I've just chose to use it in a way, I mean, it's just like Lauren Hill or J. Cole, or, you know, just like through their music, how they teach people. I mean, it's just, it's inspiring to think about. You know, I, I look at people who do it, and I'm like, man, I wanna be that. I wanna do what they do. But they just do it through music or whatever avenue that you're doing it through. You're doing it the same thing with your podcast. I mean, it's it's, it's not the mainstream media. It's not what people would would expect, but it's what people need. It's what people need to hear, not what they want to hear.
1: And that's exactly it. I want people to know that, yes, like you're you're a fantastic football player. I mean that, but I but there's so much more, and that's what I want people to know. And that's what people are gonna understand from this is the depth of of who you are, Marcus. Like I I got chills midway through this conversation because you're diving into you know, when you brought up the mask and people wearing masks, we, we've all done it, whether we we're an athlete or, or not, we've all done it. And, and some of us never take that mask off. And that's the scary part because imagine if you do take it off and yeah, like it may feel uncomfortable and, but to, to feel comfortable and, for, and fulfilled, you have to feel discomfort.
0: You, 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 you're so right. You're so right. And You know, one of my favorite writers of all time, this quote is ingrained in my head and I'll never forget it. And it always reminds me that what I'm doing is is necessary and it's important. It's by James Baldwin. He says the unexamined life is not worth living. And I, too, know that self delusion, because when you don't examine your life, you don't live in reality. You, li- you, you, you live in what you want the world to be. You know, we're only confined by the walls we build ourselves. And, and those walls are just mental walls. They're, they're, it's a mental prison. It's a school for the world. It's not a school for living. Uh, if we continue to examine our lives and we, we, we come closer to everything, and I'm not there yet. It's a, it's a continuous... You, you, you examine your life until death. It's, it's not something that just, oh, I've arrived. No, it's, it's I mean, you, you know, unless you're a monk, you know, enlightened souls and liberated souls, they've examined their selves to a T.
1: I feel like it's fear-based because if you do examine yourself, then it's, it's, it's scary. I mean, you're doing it, I'm, I'm doing it myself, and it, it, it is daunting. You know, the moment that I knew that I needed to start examining myself from an outsider's perspective, was probably the scariest thing I've ever done in my life,
0: and, and 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 that fear, that fear is what you're exactly right. It's what it what stops us, and and that's why, man, you know Brene Brown, uh, she she writes about. She's an expert on shame. Uh, she's studied emotions. She's an expert on uh, guilt. Uh, that's what she talks about. Uh, She says, having the courage to be imperfect is the first step in finding yourself. Courage is knowing that fear is right there, but still doing it anyway. And And that courage to be an imperfect creature is what sets you out on that quest. It's just realizing that, yeah, you know, these people who may portray a certain image, but nobody is exempt from human nature. Everybody feels suffering. Everybody feels joy. Everybody feels pain. Every Everybody's been angry, mad, upset. We just cover it up a little bit differently.
1: You hit so many fantastic points throughout this entire podcast, but it, it, especially right now. I, wanna, I want people to know about your writing, Marcus, and I, I hope you don't mind. I want to read this. It's titled ABC. There is no endpoint or enchanted destination. There is no finish line where you run through in celebration. Just a lot of roadblocks and a lot of detours. And when you get through those, you won't receive a reward. Because it'll just be more and some more after that. The best thing to do? Surrender to this fact. We're not in control and never will be because nothing in life is A, B, C. But who would want it to be? Have it come easy? to have everything perfect simply as one, two, three life without a rebuttal. Yeah. You can keep that fall in love with the struggle and the struggle will love you back.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Um, Sometimes in life we expect, um, we expect things to go ideally. We want life to end up a certain way. If I work hard and I, do what I'm supposed to, I'm going to have a career in the NFL. You know, there were so many things I wanted, you know, out of that experience. I want to, you know, rush for 10,000 yards. That was a goal of mine. I want to be in the Hall of Fame. I wanted, you know, six touchdowns my first year. None of that happened. Life goes on. Life goes on regardless. Whether you like your situation or not, you can't control it, number one. And number two, nothing in life is ideal. If you're waiting on ideal conditions, you'll be waiting forever. Humans, for millions of years, have had the capability to adapt. We've had the capability to respond when things don't go our way. But we conveniently forget that. We're creatures that can adapt to anything. We're creatures that can respond to anything. And, and we can make the most out of our situation. Always think about uh, Victor Frankl, who wrote a book called A Man's Search for Meaning. He talks about being in concentration camps in Auschwitz in Poland, and Poland and what it was like. And he describes this man who you know, walked into the gas chamber and prayed and said, you will not take my dignity. Uh, in a situation like that, he didn't have an excuse. He couldn't control his situation. Even a man who knows he's about to die can die with dignity. That just just proves to me that anybody can do it. He knows he's about to walk into a gas chamber. He knows his life's about to end. But he sends a prayer up to the Lord and says, no, they will not take my dignity. That seals the deal for me. You know, you look at Rwanda and the Rwandan genocide. People knew, you know, that they were about to be cut or butchered or macheted, you know, by the other tribe. You know, and, and they're and they're calling out, you know, oh, Lord, I I mean, it's just if they can adapt and they can respond, we all have the capability to do it. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for reading that.
1: I mean, it's it's amazing because as I'm reading that and obviously from our conversation now and from what we chatted about in the pre-call and, and everything, it's like I you can kind of feel the certain points of your life, you know, with what you're writing. Uh, but you do it in, in such a, a poetic way that it, ju- it, just ma- it just makes sense. There are so many different things that you've written on, on that page. And, and I think those are things that really resonate, especially with the kids that you help now. The last thing I want to ask you, if you could go back in time and chat with 19-year-old Marcus Lattimore, what would you tell him? Uh, um, how good the food oh. is in Portland, right? <laughs> <laughs>
0: You, you know what I would tell them, seriously? Uh, I wouldn't tell them anything. I just, I put on a song for them. Uh Bob Marley, Don't Worry About A Thing. Great song. I just, I, I just put that on. I put that song on and, and have it on repeat.
1: It's like just thinking about the song. Once you said, once you said it, I started playing it in my head and it just instantaneously brings a smile.
0: Yeah. And, 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 and because, you know, at that time, So many things are going on. So many things were going on in my life. So many unknowns, so much pressure. Life was just moving so fast. Uh, But if you could just don't worry, stop worrying because you're not in control anyway. You're not in control of what anything happened. You just have to do your best every day. It was so much external pressure that dominated my thoughts and dominated my mind that if I would have heard that song, I don't know, I don't, I don't know, it might've been different.
1: I call you a student of the world and to be a student of the world, it means doing what you're doing right now. You and the wife and the poodle leaving the comforts of South Carolina, moving to the Pacific Northwest, Portland, which by the way, I'm stoked to have the three of you on the West Coast as a West Coast guy, welcome. Oh, sure. um, yes, it's just—it's been amazing to speak with you, and I'm really excited for people to to listen to your messages because I don't care if you're an athlete, uh, a business, a businessman, businesswoman, whatever you do, all this is applicable in so many different ways. So thank you uh, for taking the time to to speak with me and, and enlighten me and to open up my mind.
0: Appreciate you, Carl. I really do.